Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for having us. It's a real privilege to come here. This is my first time to Pelsall, and, and uh, what a lovely building that you have. It's, it's just, oh, I'm coming on, hello. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a real pleasure to be here. Um, Stephen and, and, and uh, Paula, Stephen and Paula, that's a really good start, wasn't it? Paula, we have known for a long, long time, and uh, we, we happened to meet again at Word Live last year, and, and that was just a lovely reminiscence back to where we were in, in Bible school days, and uh, it, it was just at that sort of conversation that we had that we, we, we got invited to come out here, and we're just really thankful uh, to be able to come out here this afternoon, and it's a lovely uh, cold afternoon, but... Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who we are and, and what we're about, first of all. And I was asked to, to share a little bit about our testimony, and uh, I'll just maybe just go for a few slides. So this is the family. Not all of us are here today. This is, my wife is sat here and Joel, uh, but Joshua uh, and Naomi. Uh, Naomi's uh, studying in Southampton University, uh, and Joshua, he is uh, a teacher assistant in Slough, and he's 20 years old. So that's our family. And as I was saying, we met... Yolanda and I, way, way back in 1992, and that's a long time ago. That makes me very old, doesn't it, really? 1992, so we've been married 25 years last year, which is really exciting. And uh, it was at this place that we met Paula for the very first time. And uh, it wasn't quite in 1992, but it was a little bit later on, wasn't it? So I could tell you a lot of stories about Paula, but I'm not going to today. But uh... <laughs> Oh, you want me to, don't you? Yes. <laughs> But uh, yes, we've been married for 25 years. I don't know what's happened to that picture there, but there we are. uh, But yes, we've been married 25 years. And uh, so we did the training both in in the UK and then out in the USA. And uh, finally, we got ourselves to to the Ivory Coast, West Africa. We we loved it out there. Uh, Our mission was working with a number of of tribal groups out there to bring the gospel uh, to remote people groups, the Palika, the Glaro, the Loron, other people groups out there. And our role was, was, uh, after learning the French and and doing language study, uh, was to be dorm parents, looking after missionaries' kids. And and we love that ministry. We love working with kids. We still love working with kids in our ministry now. But we loved it out there. We, We had a very brief time out there, three and a half years and, and out there, and uh, we made good friends uh, who we love very, very much. And uh, finally, uh, it, we came to the point where there, there was civil war. And so even though we didn't want to have to leave, we had to leave. And uh, there, was, there was all kinds of things that, that, that went on. I remember uh, one time uh, being in the in the dorm uh, where we were, and uh, just being huddled in the center of the, of, of the room when bombs were going off outside. And uh, I remember the kids just beginning to sing, and they sang this song, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. And in those times of trial and difficulty, you're very conscious of God's presence. And uh, the Lord took us through some really hard times out there, but he also took us through some amazing times where we felt the r- real uh, closeness of God. And eventually, uh, we, we were evacuated out by, by the REF. You'll see a picture or two here, I think, coming up. Uh, those are the friends that we said goodbye to. So that was the airplane that, that took us out. Uh, we landed uh, after that in Germany on a very cold and snowy day. We had nothing but the clothes on our backs, which you can imagine was T-shirts and shirts. And uh, uh, we, we were back it, it, away from Africa, and, and we were cold, I can tell you. But it, it, we, the Lord had taken us through some real trials, 
And uh, we hadn't chosen to come home, but we did. After that, we spent some time in the UK. We worked at the Bible school for a little while, and then we decided that the Lord would have us go again. And so we became dorm parents out in Papua New Guinea. And that's an incredible country, over 800 languages in that country. And we're working in almost 100 uh, of those languages out there. And uh, again, places that are unreached, untouched. Some places that we flew into were just, just completely cut off from the outside world. You'll see the picture in the next one here uh, of, of an area there, the Hewa uh, tribe. Just completely cut off from the outside world. Mountains where no one uh, had actually been, there, there, been into that area, into that village. And so we flew in there on a small Cessna plane, and there we were, and there were friends of ours, and they were bringing the gospel message. There, uh, the, you can see that the gospel was being shared there by one of our friends uh, to the tribe. There's now a church established amongst the Hayward where there was nothing, absolutely nothing. A church that's glorifying God. And so since that time, we ended up having to come home from Papua New Guinea. And the last uh, 12 years, almost 13 years, we've been working on home staff. Uh, We work, as I said, with kids still. Uh, We do MK care, that's missionary kid care. Uh, At the same time, we we do personnel care and we do leadership. And we're working also uh, with the college that we have there. And we'll be telling you a little bit more about that a little bit later. That involves all kinds of things, from working uh, with conferences. Yolanda teaches phonetics in the college, uh, how to to pick up a language from scratch, uh, phonetics. And uh, I do a lot of speaking in in Christian unions around the place, just challenging other people to go out uh, to a world where there's such great needs, so many needs out there. Uh, two and a half thousand people groups with no chance of, of hearing of Jesus Christ unless somebody goes. And so I go to Christ, university Christian unions and, and speak very often to bring a challenge uh, to young people to, to go, to, 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 to even just consider the thought of, of going to an unreached people group. Just going through it. Uh, I'm also on the leadership for, for New Tribes Mission, and so one of my, my jobs also is, is to encourage and to, to spend time with some of our missionaries. I had the opportunity uh, last year to be in Senegal. Uh, this, is, this is Steve Paulson, who are working with the, who's working with the Bainuk people out there, uh, bringing uh, the gospel there. Tremendous encouragement. This is an Islamic group, over a thousand believers now amongst the, the Bainuk in Senegal. Over a thousand believers. That's an amazing thing. He went out there in the 1980s with his wife Moira. Uh, they had no fruit for year after year after year. So much, so such hard, so hard going. But in this last year, year or so, more than a thousand believers. And their prayer is is that, that these believers would stand and continue to reach out in that Islamic area. Really hard to make a stand there, as you can imagine. More pictures there from, from there. But I, I want us to, to, to perhaps reflect a little bit on what is our goal. Our goal to please him. You read that in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, it, that Paul says that his goal, his whole uh, uh, ambition was to please Christ, to please Christ. I want to show a video. I'm going to, my assistant's going to run up and press play, because it though it's embedded in the thing, I'm going to show a video uh, that sums up a little bit about what NTM does. 
ITN was born out of a need for a channel through which unevangelized people groups might more rapidly be reached with the gospel. In the words of our founder, Paul Fleming, His love is a man of my own. He lives the utmost part of your own. So he did that recently to be one, to go and tell all of So every time, preaching the gospel, the man of my own body decides to get there in power. Motivated by the love of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, NTM exists to assist the ministry of the local church. How? Through the mobilizing, equipping, and coordinating of missionaries. To evangelize and reach people groups, translate the scriptures, and see indigenous New Testament churches established that truly glorify God. As missionaries head out, they count the cost, willing to face hardship and sacrifice to see a thriving church for every people. In the early days, when missionaries sought to make a friendly contact with the IOA people of Bolivia, they were aware of the risks involved. Cecil Dye wrote, I don't believe we care so much whether this expedition is a failure, so far as our lives are concerned, but we want God to get the most possible glory from everything that happens. From the world's point of view, the expedition was a failure. Five men were martyred. But God did get the glory. A friendly contact was later established, and the Iode Church was born. Over the years, NTM has seen God's guiding hand in refining our initial and ongoing training programs. As different nationalities expressed an interest in reaching the unreached, NTM began missionary training centers in multiple countries around the globe. Today, missionaries of various nationalities and ethnic backgrounds serve side by side. Their goal? To see a thriving church for every people. Though our methods continue to change with the times, the message remains the same. Missionaries learn the culture and language well before preparing and teaching foundational Bible lessons that begin with creation and culminate with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, it's not about who we are, but who God is. Celebrate with us as we stand in awe that because of who God is, NTM missionaries are working among 259 people groups. Because of who God is, over 1,200 churches have been planted. And because of who God is, 640 of those have appointed their own elder. To date, 79 New Testaments have been translated, and 110 translations are in progress. In Zechariah 4.6 we read, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's all about Him. Let's celebrate as we praise God for all he has done over the past 75 years. God is building his church among every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was uh, 
a little bit out of date. 19, uh, 2017 was, was the year that we celebrated our 75th anniversary. But nonetheless, I think that really gives a good overall picture of, uh, of who we are and, uh, and what we're about. Way back in, in 1942, uh, this guy here, we've got the, the picture up there, of Paul Fleming went to Burma and he was utterly overwhelmed by what he saw. He saw village after village after village with no church and no believers, no Christians, no one. No one there to tell them about Jesus Christ. And he got very sick himself and he had to return home. But when he got back to America, all he did was just go around the churches presenting the great need that he had seen in Burma. And eventually uh, he got a group of guys together and they, and they began uh, New Tribes Mission. And uh, that was how it started, out of a heartfelt need to get the gospel to where it's never been before. And we still, as you saw from that video, are still trying to get to those places. You can imagine the places that are left to reach are not the easy places. They are the hard places. All the easy places have been reached in that sense. It's the hard places uh, that we are trying to get to. And to that end, we are, have a training program, and Joel is going to do another little quick there. I'm just going to show you a little overview. This is where we live as a family as well, and, and work, and this is our training program, which we train people for two to three years.
So right now we've got 56 students that are uh, training with us at North Coates. Uh, our heart and hope is that many of those will end up on the mission field somewhere. There are so many great needs. You know, there are 3 billion unreached people on this planet. That's a lot, isn't it? And we could double our workforce. We've got probably about 2,500 missionaries worldwide. We could double that, triple that, and still not get the job done. You know, the, the Lord gave the Great Commissions all those years ago, didn't he? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And yet that job is, is still not done. I'm going to show you another video now. This will give you some real insight as to what happens in the tribe itself. Uh, this is a, a, some missionaries who, who work amongst the Baguido people group in Papua New Guinea. Uh, they, they went out there uh, to a place where there was no gospel, no church, no anything. Uh, they went in there, learned the language from scratch, and they began to translate scriptures. And this is going to show you the story of, of how they presented, finally, the New Testament in the Baguido language. Takes a while, takes a while. Thank you. 
It takes a long time to reach a people group. And that's why we train for a long time, two to three years for all of our students. We want them to go out and we want them to remain there for years, sometimes a lifetime. And uh, it, it does, it takes time to learn a language from scratch. So many of these languages that, that, that they're learning have never been written down before. And so they're writing it down, learning the phonetics, learning the, the phonemics of a language, finally giving an alphabet uh, to the, the, the people group themselves with the ultimate goal that they'll also be able to read and write in their own language. And then beyond that, to be able to read the Bible. We take it for granted that we can read the Bible, can't, don't, don't we? And yet in these places, there is no Bible, first of all. And if there was one, they can't read and write. And so we teach literacy, and we, we, we translate the Bible. And uh, we want to see a church with a Bible in its hands, and uh, based on the truth of that Bible. And that, again, takes time, living years uh, with a people group, befriending, understanding the culture, working out how they tick. All of these things takes time. I wonder if you'd like to just turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to, to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just going to... Break in there at verse 7 uh, of, of the chapter. We, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, our goal, our ambition whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, drives us up, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I wonder what is our aim, our ambition in life? You know, if we look at our society, what, what are people's aims in life? What are they living for? Aristotle, the, the Greek philosopher, says, man's life only has meaning if he is reaching out and striving for his goals. I don't know if you know who this man is, but with the name Stephen Gerrard, uh, I should know. Um, this guy was a Liverpool manager for many, many years. Does anybody know who he was? Very famous. It is Bill Shankly there. Are you a Liverpool fan? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bill Shankly said this. Some people believe football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much, much 
more important than that. And I think when you see football in this day and age, and especially if you're a supporter yourself, you, you can understand this kind of sentiment when it comes to the World Cup, or if you cast your mind back to last summer and just, just the, the, the England and their progress as they made their way to the semi-finals, the, the excitement of the nation, it just caught everybody, didn't it? It became all, uh, all it became our focus, you know, and as, as, they, as England yet again went out, you know, in the semi-final, we did very well, I know, but as we went out, grown men were crying. It, they were shattered by what they had seen. During the matches, shops were closed. Uh, people were, were, were crammed around their TVs, watching, the, watching their TV screens, glued to football. If you go to watch a f- football match, as I, I, I do, I love Southampton. I'm not a Liverpool fan at all. Go and watch Southampton. If I go there, there's such great excitement. You're consumed with your team. It's just a game. But sh- tears are shed, aren't they, over football. Pulses are raised the tournament that you're watching, you're sharing this great emotion about football. I wonder if we as Christians could change what it says there to this. Some people believe pleasing Christ is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you it is much, much more important than this. You know, for us as blood-bought children of God, we should have one supreme aim in life, and that is to bring glory, to bring pleasure to the heart of God. Therefore, it says, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. I wonder how many of us can raise our hands and say, yes, that's me. That's what I get up in the morning for. I get up to bring glory and praise to my God and Savior. Even as Christians, I wonder if we can truly raise our hands and say, yes, that's me. We who have an ambition and passion beyond all the other things in our lives want to to, to give Christ the glory. Beyond what the footballers who, who dedicate their, their lives to football to, to win that World Cup, beyond that passion, our sole purpose for being on this planet is to please him, to make it our goal, to please God. Now, I, I want to firstly emphasize that, that we are already pleasing God. We are already pleasing God in the sense that we are saved. When God looks at us, he sees Christ. We are covered by his blood, aren't we? Isn't that, we should all shout hallelujah for that, shouldn't we? We are covered by his blood, and he sees us as whiter than snow. He no longer sees our sin. We can have boldness to enter the very holiness place because of what Christ has done. What does it say in Hebrews there? Have boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Aren't you glad that you can do that? We can come to the very throne of God. Yet Paul still says here, his ambition was to please God. So what on earth was he talking about? If he's already, uh, uh, God is already pleased with him in the sense of he's been saved, what is, what is going on here? Well, these chapters, the whole uh, context is this. 
This is all about motivation, motivation to serve. It's about service. As far as our salvation is concerned, there's nothing we can do. If we are trusting, if we are trusting in what we do for our salvation, that we know that all that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's, it's, it's worthless. Paul was speaking as someone who was already saved, already pleasing in the sense of salvation to God. But he's talking about service. Paul wants to make his life count. He wants to live a life that he is going about bringing the gospel to those around him. He says he wants to please him, whether at home in the body or away from it. Both our short life here on earth, but also throughout eternity. So I ask again, is that why we get up in the morning? To please him? To bring him glory? Is this our goal in life? I think the truth is, is, as Christians, so often our motivation for life is, is somewhat shifted, especially in this modern era. We find it hard to echo those same words as Paul. Words like, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, as he says in Philippians. I think we forget who we are. I think we forget that we are aliens in this world. We are foreigners. We, we are strangers. And we have conformed to the world's image and its goals and its ambitions. And I think much of our Western church in particular are a bit like the Laodiceans, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, indistinguishable from the world around. Our goal is rather to please ourselves than Jesus Christ. Our ambitions have perhaps become more like the world around us than those that we find in Scripture. We are more interested in pleasure, in, in fame, in fortune, in success, the comforts of this life. But Paul says no. He says no. My goal and our goal should be to please him. Paul understood that the, at the cross everything changes. Our priorities should change. Our motivation, our ambition should change when it happened to, to Paul, it was on the Damascus Road, wasn't it? When he saw that great light from heaven and he was brought to his knees. Here was a man who was, who was bent on stamping out Christianity. He hated those that were Christ's followers. He wanted to, to get rid of all of them. And yet, on the Damascus Road, he was on his knees. It's amazing in, in Acts chapter 9, as you read there, his, his hate, his, his anger, his pride, his violence, his, it, 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 all of these things were there. But it all changed. Everything changed. And by the end of the chapter, he's filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized, preaching Christ in the synagogues with boldness. His ambition now was to please his Lord. Hate had been replaced with love, anger with compassion, pride with humility, violence with gentleness, a passion to stamp out Christianity with a passion to get the gospel out to the then known world. And he became perhaps the greatest missionary that has ever existed. Paul's life and ministry was now governed by burning desire to please his Lord. He wasn't concerned about how popular he was. He, he didn't care what people thought of him. 
You know, he is a, a Roman citizen, could have had it all, but, but wanted nothing of the high life. He wasn't striving, as so many are today, for the lights of Hollywood or, or TV or sporting fame. He goes as far as to say to the Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Fame was of no importance to Paul. In all things, Paul only wanted to please Christ, to bring glory to him. He wasn't concerned about the world's riches either, was he? For he understood his God would supply all his needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I've often talked to students when when I've been uh, in universities, and one of the questions that they do ask is, is, is how how in the world do you survive? How do you manage without a salary, without an income? Seems such a monumental hurdle to our Western culture. The money, what about the money? Where's the money going to come from? Yet we know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he, he said time and time again, he will supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Jehovah Jireh is our provider. And as we step out to him, he is no man's debtor. For 25 years as a family, we have lived by faith, trusting only the Lord to, to supply our needs. And he has never let us down. Never have we let us, has he let us down. God is no man's debtor. Paul was not, never concerned about being comfortable either. You only have to read as, he went, as you go through uh, chapter 11 of this book, his sufferings that he went through. It says in Philippians 3 verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He'd lost everything. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So how do we please him? Well, these chapters in 2 Corinthians are all about service, ministry, the preaching of the gospel. God's goal is indeed the nations. And if our ambition is to be like Paul's, to please him, then we better be about his work. We read in in chapter 5, uh, there we see vividly the way Paul sought to please Christ. It says there verse, chapter, in, in, in chapter 5 here, verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade men. I sometimes wonder if we, we've forgotten it, that, that there will be a final judgment. There is eternal punishment. Does the church even believe in hell anymore? Where's the urgency gone in getting that gospel message to those places that have never had a chance to hear? Hudson Taylor, or not there yet. Hudson Taylor said this, Would that God make hell so real to us that we cannot rest, heaven so real that we must have men there. What is our ambition? Is it not to please him? to go out to bring hope to the nations. Twice in verses 18 and 19, Paul tells us we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Then finally, in verse 20, he says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that word ambassador, don't you? You guys are ambassadors. I love that word. 
as though God were pleading through us. We, we implore, plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are to please Christ, we are to preach Christ. All of us, not just those that get up at the, at the front here, all of us are to preach Christ. There's a desperate need to get the message of Christ to a dying world. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Great Commission is so simple, isn't it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. There's no ghetto clause to the Great Commission. We all have to ask us, ask, come before the Lord and ask what that means to us. Does it mean that we should be on our knees more? Does it mean that we should give more? Does it mean that we should be out in our community more? Does it even mean that perhaps it's me that, set, that, that should be sent to Timbuktu? Timbuktu is a real place, a real needy place, an Islamic place, a place where they desperately need missionaries in Mali. It might mean you. It might call for us to say, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Have we ever dared in sincerity to come before God and really put our personal plans of, about our life before him and said, said, Lord, whatever, wherever you would want me to go, whatever you would want me to do, have we done that? Because if we're the Lord's, if we want to bring pleasure to him, we are to be about his business. And that might take us to the far side of the planet. What pleases God? Jesus said, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. If our lives are to be pleasing to God, we must be about his business. Let me show you a picture. These were our first five missionaries that went out to Bolivia uh, many uh, years ago, back in 1943. And uh, if you go on to the... To get the names here. There's Eldon Hunter and, and Dave Bacon, Cecil Dye and George Hosback and uh, Bob uh, Dye as well, his brother Bob, Cecil's Dye. Cecil Dye uh, is, we'll see him in, in the next picture here. Let me go. We see him here fighting through the jungles to get to the IRA Indian, Indians. Deep into the, the jungles they went and uh, as they went, they, they fought through uh, some really thick uh, trails to, to get to, 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 to have a first contact uh, with the IRA Indians. They were exhausted. They were fit to drop. They'd gone through fevers and sickness. Uh, but they kept going. They kept going. And people asked the question, why? Why in the world? Why in the world would they do that? Why would they keep going? Why would they, they push their way uh, through the jungles in that way? What was pushing them on? Cecil Dye, who you see there in the jungle, said this. The secret, 1900 years ago, they had been crucified with Christ. Christ lived in them, and the life they now lived, they lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved them and gave himself for them. He said, I don't believe we care so much of, of if this expedition is a failure as far as our lives are concerned. But we want to give God, we want God to get the most glory from everything that happens. 
You know, eventually all five men lost their lives to the, at the end of the spear to the IRA Indians. Was Christ not pleased? Was Christ not glorified? A few months before his death, Cecil wrote the words of this song. We'll follow our glorious, victorious king. To the ends of the earth, his dear name we'll sing. Till men of night have seen his light and join us in the holy fight. He's coming in clouds when the battle's won to say to his faithful, well done. And when we see his face, we'll know it's by his grace that we followed our glorious, victorious king. Those five men now share the martyr's crown with thousands and perhaps millions who've given their lives in sacrifice to the Lord. Paul the apostle also recognized pleasing his Lord would reap eternal reward. Paul, like Cecil, longed for the day when he knew he would meet his saviour and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What are we doing? What have we done? What rewards will we see? Are we pleasing him? No, not all of us have to go across the waters, but all of us have to give an account for our lives. Are we serving him where we are, here in Pelsall? Are we reaching out? Are we talking to our neighbours? Are we speaking to our friends at school? Are we praying when we hear that there are three billion souls that have no chance of hearing of Jesus Christ? Are we praying? Are we praying the Lord of the harvest to send forth reapers to the harvest? You know the thrill is that, that one day it's going to happen. Every tribe, nation and tongue Revelation 5, 9 says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's going to be a throng. I am so excited that one day I'm going to be uh, in, in the, uh, before the throne of heaven, rubbing shoulders with Palaka and Malamanda and Pawayan and people from the Hayward tribe that we saw earlier, the Baguido. There's going to be some from each of those tribes. It's going to happen. Praise God. It's been prophesied there in Revelation. What could bring more joy to the heart of God than seeing some from every tribe and nation worshipping him? I'm going to show you one final picture here. Slides out there. Picture of a guy called Jack Douglas, close friends of ours. We, we, we've known him for, for, for many years. He and his wife, Isa, uh, went out in the 1970s to the Hawaiian people of Papua New Guinea. He went out there and uh, for many, many years, they were on their own serving, serving the Lord in that, in that place. And, and, and eventually, uh, they finally brought the gospel to the Hawaiian people. There are now more than 1,000 Hawaiian believers. There are many churches amongst the Hawaiian. And uh, a year and a half ago, in, in, in autumn time, they went for one final trip back to be with their, th th those that they loved. They, lo they felt more at home in the highlands of Papua New Guinea amongst the Hawaiian people. But they made one final trip. They were in their, 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 were in their late 70s at, at the time. They made one final trip, and they went there just to do some teaching and to, and to encourage the believers there. And as they left, they, they, they realized this was going to be their, their final time. And this is, this is what 
Jack says, they sent us off with the Hawaiian salute, as we call it, hands raised to heaven, where we expect to meet again one day. What a testimony. I was at Isa's funeral just a, a month ago. What a testimony. At the end of the funeral, as, 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 as we gathered as a congregation, uh, the, the, the guy who was leading it got us all to raise our hands in the Hawaiian salute. Hands raised to heaven, where we will see you again one day. Isa's worshipping in heaven with Hawaiian believers. What a testament. Giving her life to those, for those who, who would never have heard had they not stepped out back in the 1970s. Be praying for those that are serving the Lord out in those places. It's a sacrifice. They've given their lives. They, they, they've moved away from family and friends and they're, they're out there serving. Be praying. Be praying for Jack. He's, he's on his own now. But he's still wanting to serve the Lord. He's coming to work at our, our Bible school and, and work at, at, with the 3C course and, and lend his wonderful experience to, to our students there. But he's alone. He misses Isa. Be praying. Be praying for, these, for, for those that are, are serving out there. And so what is our aim? What is our ambition? Is it not to please Christ, to bring glory to him with our lives? That is the challenge for each of us, for me as well as you guys. Are we going to please Christ?